Jesus' name. I wonder if you could turn to Matthew chapter 16, the rediscovery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to read a very, very well-known text this morning. So if you've been around in the church for more than just a few years, you probably would have heard this preached on many times. And I trust that it brings freedom and liberty to you today. About 14 years ago, I'd be, I was just in ministry for a little while at that point, not long. And I realized something stark, and some of you have heard me say this before. I was in South Africa still, and I realized that I don't really know the Lord. I know about Him. I grew up in church. I walked away from the church, came back to the church. And uh, it was just a really stark realization. I was filled with insecurities and just stuff that many people are filled with. And I recognized that to be His vessel and to be His, to be fully His, uh, the Bible says that there is a that for which Jesus took hold of us. It says that in Philippians. I press onwards to take hold of that for which why he took hold of me. There's a that. For every person there's a that. What is that for your life? And I realized that I actually don't know God. I know about him. I knew the, I knew the Bible, knew the scriptures, but I didn't know him personally. And I realized that I didn't actually know who I was. And then I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And those three questions... I took about 10 years to begin to plow the depths of those questions. And uh, I thank the Lord that He met me there and that I know Him. I really know Him. And I want to present a little bit of that to you today. And I'm hoping to be practical at the end. But to know the Lord, Paul says to know Christ, everything that He had built, everything that He had done, everything that He had done for his entire life and he was a brilliant man he considered and excuse the word but it's the real word excrement compared to the passing greatness of knowing Christ and there are many good things that a person can do but that does not give them life and that does not give them freedom amen so Matthew 16 says this we're going to go to verse 13 when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a well-known text, a lot of confusion over the centuries. Many things have come from this one single text. Many different groups and all sorts of things have come from this text. So I want to start by doing a quick, almost like a presentation. Just when it starts, it says the region of Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi. And that's a very specific phrase. It was not the maritime the, on the, the ocean, Caesarea, it was another one. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of history. Who likes history? Uh, great, so we're, we're together. Firstly, it was a pagan area, extremely pagan with a wicked, wicked history. There's a Jew Jewish tradition in the book of Enoch and you can feel how you want about that, but it was also Jewish tradition that the gathering of the rebellious angels, gathering to descend on the daughters of men, they gathered on a place called Mount Hermon. 
which is this place, the Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. It was on the foothills of Mount Hermon, and they gathered there, and they descended upon, and that's where we get the Nephilim from. And so that's the first time you see that this place is mentioned. It is also a spring. It's called Benaeus Spring still today, which is a massive spring which produces pretty much it's the main source of the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. Okay? Then it's the territory of Bashan, which is called the place of the serpent. So that's not a good name, I don't think. If I was going to buy a house and that was the name of the road, I would, I would wonder. Maybe God sent me there to change it, amen, because he's bigger than that. It's the site of, uh, ancient site of Asherah and Baal worship. It was actually called in the Bible Mount Baal Hermon at some point. And Baal and Asherah would go underground there. They would go underground once a year in the dry season, so people thought, and then they would have to offer blood sacrifices, which were children, to lure them out to bring back fruit and rain. And Think about today. It's very similar. And that's what would happen. It was an ancient, wicked, wicked site. The stuff that went on there, I cannot fully go into, not in public. It was really wicked. Then the Ptolemaic kings, which is the Greek Hellenistic area that settled in ancient Egypt about 300 BC, they built a cult center there, an entire cult center, 300 years before Christ. Same place. Then the Greek god Pan, coming out of that Hellenistic area, was worshipped there. You know, Pan, just trying to see what certain age groups. Pan, the Greek god Pan, looked a lot like, if any of you know, please don't go look at it, please don't go research it, but there's the satanic church that worships something called Baphomet, which is like Satan. Goat's head, goat's horns, human face, human torso, goat's legs. And that's exactly the god of Pan. They looked exactly the same. And so, in a sense, the enemy was worshipped there. And the word panic is a Greek word. It originates from the feeling, pan, God pan, from the feeling in the females that he would chase down to do certain things. And that's where the word panic comes from. It's true. So, in this area, it was called the abode of the shepherd. Think about the mockery, because the God of pan was called the shepherd God. Okay? And it was God's legs, and I said, he ruled music. Sounds familiar. He played instruments to lure and deceive, and he specialized in sexual and spiritual possession. This was the Greek god Pan, and he was worshipped there for a long time. Then it was also, this place was also known, there was a massive cave there, and it was known as the gates of hell, according to the Greek. You know, the whole coins on the eyes and all of that, was a, this was the place that they thought was the gates of Hades. So there's a history of this place that is not pleasant. It's, you, you don't want to move there. It was outside of the Jewish domain. It was one of the northernmost that Jesus took his disciples. And he went there and then he came back. Because often the Lord has to take us outside of our little box to actually reveal who he really is. To show us that he's more powerful than that. I've got some pictures for you. That's today, that's the Benea Spring. It actually used to be called the Penea Spring from Pan, but now it's called the Benea Spring. And that's a mild photo. There's, it's a massive rushing, raging that comes from underground. It's an eternal spring. It comes from deep underground wells. That's just, I think, further downstream. You can carry on. That's today. Carry on. The next one. This is in Jesus' day. This is probably what he would have seen. That's the temple of Pan and the palace of Philip. That's why it's called Caesarea Philippi. And you see on the far right, they're worshipping Pan there. 
But that is the gate of hell. You see over there that cave? That's that. And then that was the temple to Pan over there. That's a painting that stands in that place today. They painted that. That's in Israel. That's the remains of Philip's palace where he built. It's, the, it's right next door to it. Carry on. It's one of those two buildings. That is the remains today of the temple of Pan. That's the gate of hell. And you see in the back, you see all the niches in the rock. That's where they would place their gods and worship. And there's a flat surface there before, like a bigger kind of a, not the cave, but a bigger hole, which you'll see. And that's what, where Pan was worshipped. Next one. That you see it more clearly. That's what it is today. Still like that. Next one. And that's another one, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, which had what they called the bottomless pit, was where they would throw the children. So, it's the cafeteria, I've called it, there was actually a commentator, they called it the cafeteria of spiritual options. Sounds a lot like today. Pick a God, pick who you want to worship, some people pick themselves. And that's, you know, it's all these different spiritual things that are offered to people. Because there's a desperate cry in people for something supernatural. And they have to be taught out of that. But it's there nonetheless. Yeah? All right. It is here that Jesus comes to. Now, if you read the other two texts that talk about this story, one in Luke, one in Mark, it talks about Jesus was walking along the road. And then he was praying. And then his disciples came and walked with him. And out of his prayer, he, as he was getting to that place, he started to ask them. He started to speak to them. He's just about to arrive here. And he starts to ask them, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's a great question. And he starts to ask them, in that place, who do people say that I am? And you know, they answered, some say Elijah, some say other prophets, some say this, some say that. But they answered, because even Herod, Herod had stood up, and it says this in Mark 6, he had made a proclamation that the reason Jesus could do what he was doing, because he was John the Baptist, that had come back from the realm of the dead, and he had mystical power. It says that in Mark 6. And so Herod had made this declaration. I ask you today, do you know what our generation thinks of Christ? It's an important thing to know. The only reason they knew was because they were not ashamed in a sense. They were out there, but with Christ out there. Everybody knew that they were associated with Jesus, so they became very well acquainted with people's opinions. I think if Jesus asked us today, who do people say that he is? I don't know if we actually know. Hello? Yeah, I don't know if we sometimes know. Because the church goes indoors, right? So he says that. And then he arrives at this place. And he says, but who do you say that I am? In the midst of all of that, who do you say that I am? And he says, as we know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So today, with the rediscovery of the gospel, I want to talk to you just three points. First, the true Jesus Christ. The real Jesus. The real Jesus. The gospel, I believe with all my heart, starts with a revelation of a person, not a message. Please hear that. It starts with the revelation of a person. It doesn't come through a message. It says that in Galatians. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And we know what he says. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you. Think about the religions that have been started because of this one text. 
the major religions on the earth that are, in a sense, not the truth were started because they say an angel came and preached. And yet, they said that would happen. And he says, As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone preaches to you another gospel other than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men, or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, this is a fascinating statement, this rocked my world for many years, is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. How many people can say that? Nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not from. Most important word there, of. I saw Christ. And when I saw Christ, I understood the gospel. I had an encounter with Christ. And I understood the gospel. It didn't come from, what does the gospel teach me? It's this, it's this, it's this. We need that today, friends. But until we see Christ, things don't come clear. It comes from the experience and the encounter with the person. Not a message, not teaching that is helpful. Sometimes the revelation can come through those things. We need those things. But the true gospel comes through the person, not through a message. And that's what changes you. That's what penetrates your heart. So Paul talks about this in Acts 26. He says, While thus occupied as a journey to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday. It's Acts 26 verse 12 to 18. Paul is talking to King Agrippa, telling him what happened when he saw Christ. He's telling him what happened with his encounter. And it says, When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It shows you how Jesus perceives the treatment of his people. Think about that. It is hard for you to kick against the goad. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, not I am Christ. I am Jesus. Acts 22 version says of his story, says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. He's his humanity, his human name. And he says, that guy that you didn't believe, that guy that was crucified, that guy, yeah, I'm him. And he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. You're just about to hear the most pure gospel that you can hear, because Jesus is speaking. And he said, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things I will yet reveal to you. How many of you know that Jesus has things He wants to tell you? Jesus had things He wanted to tell His disciples, but they weren't ready. He says, many things I have to tell you, but you cannot yet bear them. I don't want to get to heaven and hear them. I really don't. He said, I wanted to tell you stuff, son, but you couldn't bear it because you didn't know me. And he says, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. Jesus always sends you to people that you will also need deliverance from, because you are indebted to them, Paul says. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and barbarians. We are indebted to people that actually Jesus will have to help us get free from, yet we are in debt them and Jesus will send you to them 
And that person may be your next door neighbor, maybe a person in your family. It doesn't just have to be this big apostolic journey. He will send you. And they sometimes won't like you. But that's okay. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. The devil does have power. We just don't live in reaction to his power. Many Christians do. Friends, we don't live in reaction to the enemy. We live in reaction to Christ. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That phrase, to open their eyes, very interesting phrase for me. I looked it up in all the Greek and the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, and it's mentioned a few times, but firstly we have to understand that our eyes need to be opened. When Peter said, you are the Christ, he had been walking with Jesus for about two years. There's many people that have been walking with Jesus for a while, and I hope you hear my heart this morning. This is not something that I'm trying to put on people. There's a desperate cry in my heart because I believe that we're in an Isaiah 52 hour as a church, not our church, but yes, but generally where the Lord is saying, awake, 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 and put on strength. I really believe that. Friends, we're in a golden hour right now as a church, which I'll get into. We really are. It's a massive privilege to be alive right now. But you can walk with the Lord for a while. Peter had been walking with Jesus intensely every day, intense, and yet didn't know him. Didn't actually know him. It requires a revelation not knowledge, a revelation. And it says his eyes, their eyes were opened. This phrase, the eyes were opened in Genesis, it says, the, it's exact phrase, it says their eyes were opened and then what? They realized they were naked. When their eyes were opened, they realized they, they realized self. That's what happened in the garden. When it happened with Paul, first time, it says his eyes were opened, he saw no one because he was blind and they had to lead him by the hand. It's the same phrase. When their eyes were restrained, when they were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Then it says later their eyes were opened and they knew him. All of those are supernatural experiences. And my question to you is, have your eyes been opened? And to what? <laughs> to yourself? To a nothing? To Christ. Paul moved, I believe, from religion to love. He was filled with knowledge, and knowledge is good, please don't. Knowledge is good. It's helpful. But he moved from religion to love. He was had a colossal intellect, Leonard Ravenhill used to say. He was probably the most brilliant man. You've heard me talk about him. He's, I study him, he's a favorite person that I study in the Bible. But friends. He needed a revelation. He needed to see Christ. And when he saw Christ, everything he knew, you know that God never wastes time in Scripture. He studied backwards. He knew it off by heart. And yet when he saw Christ, he said, I'm, I'm living for God. Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm serving God. I'm living for God. And he sees Christ and he says, but who are you? I don't know you. I'm serving God, but I don't know who you are. And when he encountered Christ, all his knowledge, all that stuff 
became filtered and useful. It's never wasted. It's never wasted. He just turned the lens on Paul. He said, you need to see it different, Paul. And it says his eyes were opened. And there was different minds. There's different minds. Jesus said the same thing that he asked to Peter. Who do people say that I am? He said to the Pharisees, what think ye of Christ? He said that to the Pharisees. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? That's an opportunity. You know, I was chatting to my uncle Craig. He's here. He's our great, great, great uncle. That's what I call him. I was chatting to him and we were talking about discipleship. He's passionate about discipleship, which is wonderful, and how important questions are. Jesus asked two questions, the right questions, to facilitate Peter getting a revelation. Questions. Often the Lord will speak to me and ask me questions. I'm praying and a question comes up in my mind. That's him. And we think, no, 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 I don't want to. That's him. And you'll discover that in the searching out of the truth of that, revelation comes and you are changed. When people ask questions, search it out. Here, Jesus asked the Pharisees, what think ye of Christ? It was an opportunity for revelation and they missed it completely. It's very sad. They gave him a technical answer. We'll answer you according to just technical scripture. I can ask people, who's Jesus to you? And they throw out four little scriptures, this, 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 and this. It's good to know the scriptures. I hope you don't hear what I'm not saying. But friends, who is he to you, really? What's he like? What's he like to you, for you, with you? What about the blinded mind? man stood up in the synagogue and said, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? What have we to do with you? I know it was a spirit speaking, but if you've ever dealt with a demon, which I have dealt with many, you'll discover that the person feels what that thing feels, and they think it's them. The Bible says the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So when you deal with a blinded mind, that's the question. That's the response. What have we to do with you, Jesus? What did Jesus and I have to do with you? That's the world. I, have no, what, I don't have anything to do with him. What about the political mind? What shall I do with Jesus? Pilate asked that question. What shall I do about this Jesus? And he asked it to the crowd. And he gave them what they want to retain his position. We know Peter's answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says this, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Simon Barjona is actually just means son of John or son of Jonah, but in the Hebrew it's Simeon Barjona. Simeon, son of Jonah. Simeon actually means he who hears with acceptance. It's actually what Simeon means. And Jonah means dove. Jesus is saying to him, Blessed are you. Blessed means happy. Happy are you, Peter. For you have heard the dove. You've heard the voice of God. Before Jesus died again, there's not many instances when the disciples that followed Jesus actually heard the Lord. They heard physical Jesus. But the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given. And Peter stands in the midst of all of this stuff. The worst place, can we say, in the world. The most demonic worship going on all around them at this point. People worshiping, probably sacrifice, stuff happening all around them. That's how you may feel. And Jesus stands in the middle of that and asks them, 
Who am I? Friends, who is he? <laughs> Happy are you who hear the dove and accept what God says. I wrote this. Amidst the land, this is how I think some of you feel. Amidst the land fraught with falsities, right now in this nation, across the world, where lies are held as truth, evils are held up as good, everything is up in the air. Everything. Right and wrong, even how to determine right and wrong. Belief systems, it's just like that day, this cafeteria of spiritual options. All things are thrown up in the air. And I believe he's asking his people again in this hour, who am I? Who do you say that I am? Amidst all this stuff, friends, hear this for you, not for me, not for your child, not for your spouse, not for the person that you know needs Jesus, for you. Who do you say Jesus really is? It's a big question. With amidst all the stuff, can we position ourselves to still hear Him? Because the truth is, no matter how much stuff is going on in the world, the revelation of Jesus, who He really is, can pierce through anything and can change a human heart. I don't care of the darkness. I don't care about the drugs. I don't care of your habits, your issues, your failures, your flaws. The revelation of the King can pierce through it all. It's the only thing that can get through and change really change it's the only thing that brings peace in this world who is Jesus Christ and it rings through the ages through the ages that question who is Jesus that's why I believe friends we it's a golden hour for the church I really mean that with all that's happening what a light we can be. What truth we can bring. What freedom we can demonstrate. What power we can yield. Because of Christ. Some people panic. And we know where that comes from. Friends, I believe the reason that many people are being shaken or feeling shaken inside is because the Lord is disturbing their comfortable Christianity and saying, is it real? Is it real? Is it real? Oh, what a beautiful time we live in. Really, beautiful time. The great speeding up of all things that are happening. You're seeing children being able to do amazing stuff, talents and stuff. It's just not like that before. It's the great speeding up. Because as evil increases, grace increases. It's wonderful. The enemy is so spent. He's so finished. He's so overruled that every time he does something great, the Lord says, great, I'm going to release more grace. You've just sped up your own end. So, the gospel always starts with who is Jesus. It's the revelation of a person, it's not a message. Please hear that. When you know him, you understand this Bible. Then, he says, you are Peter. That's the true you. Only when we know the true Jesus, then he says, okay, now you know who I really am. Now I'm going to tell you who I say you are. And knowing how he says and who he says we are, that's the true you. That's the real you. This one sentence, and I know 
Many of you know this, so I'm going to go over it quickly because if you've been in church, you know all the... But this one sentence, and I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Oh my goodness. For centuries, this has been a problem. A big problem for many people. And I think they're putting it all up. Peter, Petros, the stone or rock. Rock, Petra, we know that they're different. A projecting rock. The vines means a massive rock. And what it actually means is this. Is that I have, if this whole building was a rock and I chipped off a piece of it, it's a part of the whole. It says, you are Peter. Yeah, you're part of me. You are part of me. That's why we're his body. The, Hebrews, the Hebrew Bible says that, uh, even in the Hebrew New Testament, it says Peter is the word eben. And the word build, I will build my churches ebene. Meaning what? I will take multiple of these little stones and I will make a building with them. And that's what Peter understood himself. He wrote this. He wrote, coming to him, 1 Peter 2.4, as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are living stones, as we know, being built into a spiritual house. So the one who Jesus said it to just translated it that way. And people have translated it many other ways. The rock is not Peter. It's not. People said it was. And what did we get? Man is the head of the church. And so the Protestants with all their faith came along and said, no, it's not Peter, it's confession. It's the confession. Well, it's not confession either. Because he, he confessed, it's our confession, it's our faith, it's faith. You know, we confess, we confess, we confess, we say, we say, we speak, we speak. Just keep saying it, you know. And when that happened, well, it's interesting. Because they said that, and salvation became cheapened. And what we can do became the head of the church. Look at all my faith. Look what I can do. Look what I can move with my faith. And salvation became just, oh, come, just come up here. Let me, okay, just repeat after me. Just say the sentence. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, brother, you say it off you go. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus is the rock. And we need to see who he is to have him revealed and penetrated deep into the heart of every man, woman, and child. And he turns your heart, that supernatural spiritual regeneration of a human heart, not a sentence. Then, and only then, Jesus remains the head of his church. Only then. And then, and only then, we know who we are. You with me? You're alive? Jesus is also standing on a huge rock. So it was a pun. Jesus is standing on a big rock. He's standing on a big physical rock saying, on this rock. There's two or three puns in this story. We saw the pictures. He's standing on a big rock facade. He said, on this rock I will build my church. On this place where there's currently temples and, and we know it wasn't there physically. And people said it was Peter, it wasn't Peter. We know it's Christ. Well, it's very interesting. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about the rock that Moses struck was the spiritual rock that was Jesus. It says, when they struck the rock and water came out, that rock was Christ. He's standing on a rock which is doing what? Producing water. There's a spring flowing out from it. And it's the source of a river in which he was baptized in. 
And people would have probably said to him, because in that day, as you know, if you know the scriptures a little bit, there's a lot of allegories. There's a lot of physical things that actually are important for the Hebrew people. Yeah? And there's a river Jordan that is running from this place of death, this place of sacrifice, this place of evil, this place of incredible demonic history. And they're saying to Jesus, how can you get baptized in that river? How can you get baptized in this river of death, really? Because there's two rivers, friends. There's a river, Ezekiel says, that flows from the throne of God. And whenever that river goes, it brings life. Jesus saying, Peter, you're a rock. You're a little bit of me. And I am the rock that he stood up in the feast on the last day of the feast in John 7:37, and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him drink from me. And the water I give you, you will never thirst again. And he says, And then you will have a river of living water flowing from your belly. Some of your translations say, Who says, who knows belly, who knows heart? Right? They're different. You know what the word means in the Greek? From your womb. Something will be birthed in you, and birth is painful. And then life will flow out of you. It says when you take a drink, it will begin to well up in John 4. As you spend time with me, as you are with me, something will well up inside of you that will become a river. So he's saying, I'm standing on this rock. I am the rock that when I was struck, produced life. He said, you, Peter, and many after you will be like that. Where you will be struck, where people will come against you. And you will go through a death. But that birth that will come will produce life. That's who you really are. That's your real identity. To, t to make a river of death become a river of life. Because it was the river of baptism. That's why we have to identify with his death. And then his resurrection. Jesus was baptized in that. I hope this makes sense to you. It was going to be too complicated on the notes, I could feel, so we just did some family style, right? Friends, very important. When a person is squeezed, what comes out? When, when we know the Lord and we know who He says we are, there are times where it feels like we'll die. But you know that real resurrection? Real resurrection and you've heard me say this, is when you bear the mark of death. Touch my hands, Thomas. Touch my side. But yet you are alive. Many people were raised from the dead. But none of them were resurrected. They all died again. Jesus was resurrected. Well, you can see what killed him. Like, that's why I think zombies are such a big thing today. I keep saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch that. It's up to you. I don't. Because the only one who ever walked around with the marks of what killed him was Christ. And it's like that in your heart. Some of you have died to stuff. And you still feel it sometimes. But when Christ touches that area, that's resurrection power in that area. I can still, you see the scar of where someone hurt me, something happened. But I've identified with his death. I've died to that old man, friends. The river that flows from the throne, everywhere it goes, it brings life. It brings life. And fish of all kinds, of all types of the sea. And Jesus is standing on a rock that is producing a river. And he said, if you drink of me, you too 
like I am, will become a rock that produces a river. But it requires baptism. It requires the death. Because that river, that river will destroy the old man. That river will remove your past. That river will take away your sin. That river will bring life. That river is the only river that flows from people, from the Lord, that will break addiction and issues and stuff. That's the only one. Saying, Peter, you're a little rock. You're a piece of me. You're a piece of the whole. And that is the true you. That is the real you for every person here. That is God's plan for you. (laughs) For you to drink of Him. Why? Because you know Him. You really know Him. You know? You know Him. And when you're with Him, oh, it's the best place in the world. And then something begins to well up inside of you. And then people hit you and Jesus comes out. And people accuse you and Jesus comes out. And people hurt you and Jesus comes out. He loves you, friends. He loves you. Then you have the true church. I will build my church. (laughs) I will build my church. It's his church and he builds it. He builds it. Friends, control. Control in the church needs to stop. Needs to stop. Nobody belongs to anybody else. We belong to Him. (laughs) We belong to Him. And the feeding of God's people. Jesus never said to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Why? Because you love my sheep. No, Peter, do you love me? Because you love me, feed them. Not because you love them. Because they'll bite you. (laughs) Jesus said, I will build. Friends, Jesus makes you. He said, if you follow me, I will make you. Follow me and I will make you into something. I'll make you fishers of men. You follow, I'll make. That's the partnership. You follow. You keep following. And I will keep making. And there will come periods in that journey where something happens which makes absolutely no sense with who you think God is. Some tragedy, some crisis. Something that makes you offended. Something that, and it's a question, will you continue to follow me? Because then I will continue to make you. You know that when they built the temple in the Old Testament, they said they had to build the temple, they had to cut the stones off site, 1 Kings 6 7. They'd cut the stones off site because they didn't want the noise of tools at the temple site. Because peace in the Old Testament was the absence of chaos and noise. Peace in the New Testament, the New Testament is the presence of a person. And he says, I will build you where nobody else sees, I will make and shape you in the secret place. And then I will install you in my temple, in my building, in the thing that I am building. And guess what? He will always put you next to another stone. Anything that God calls you to will include other people. People, I don't like that stone. Well, he doesn't care. It's his building. And they will rub against each other. Say, well, Lord, that stone stinks. Said, so do you sometimes. That's how he builds. He builds, and we must remember, we are not the shaper of the stones. I'm not called to shape this person next to me. He's the shaper and the maker. That's how he builds. 
And then you will install the stone because you know his presence. There's peace. There's quiet inside. And then he puts the stone there. There's no more panic. There's no more, I know him. And everything will be okay because I know him. And then he says, okay, now I'll give you authority. I will give you keys that open and shut things that only I can open and shut. Keys of the kingdom of heaven. That authority is real. You can feel it on a person. Spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is delegated authority. And it started like that in the garden. Fill the earth, multiply and subdue. That's a military term. It means take into bondage by force what was outside of the garden. Well, we know who was there to deceive them. <laughs> There's always been a partnership with the Lord that requires delegated authority, which you have. But he needs to teach it to you, which is why you need to know him. Which is why you need to be secure in him, so that when people hit you, Jesus comes out. And then authority becomes real, becomes genuine. What now? I have two minutes. People say, well, that's interesting. <laughs> what now? What think ye of Christ? Who do you say Jesus is? The gospel starts with who you think that he actually is. 91% of America right now, I can give you the stats, the Barnard group. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 91% of America right now believe in a God that looks nothing like Jesus Christ. So something's wrong. Something's wrong. The church, it's time for us to wake, to awaken. And God is speaking that I believe. Awake, my son. Awake, my daughter. Put on strength. Strength. Real strength, not your strength. Put on strength. And strength comes from your knees. Strength comes from this Bible. Put on strength so that when people say, who is Jesus, you say, oh, I know him. Who do you say he is today? Who do you say, amidst all the stuff, can you still hear who he really is? I encourage you, go home. That was it, no. <laughs> go home. Leave right now. Go home and ask yourself, you know, not your spouse. I mean, if you want to, that's fine. Ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Who is he? Who is Christ? What think ye of Christ? Who is he to me? Then, if we don't know, ask him, Lord, open my eyes. Bible says there's a supernatural opening of the eyes. And it's necessary. Open my eyes. Not so that I can see myself like they did in the garden. But I can see Christ. Then, how does God see you? Very important. People say, well, you know, that's selfish, me to focus on myself. No, actually, you were very expensive. 
cost Christ everything. So stop selling so cheap. You are very expensive. Know who you are by knowing how he th- says you are and what he says you are and who he says you are. Because God has got a plan and a purpose for you. If you're 85 today, God has a plan still. He has a plan. And it's always different than what you think it is. That much I know. The Lord told me when I got saved, clear as a bell, you will never choose where you live. <laughs> and now I'm here. I, won't, I know I won't end up probably in this nation. Because our life is His. It's, it's His. And that's actual freedom. Can we stand, please?